verse 27. We covered this last week, but we're going to talk about it a little bit now, and uh, we'll we'll uh, go forward. When they brought them, they stood them before the council, the Sanhedrin. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit to whom God has given to those who obey Him. He said, we don't want you teaching in this name. They didn't want, even want to call Him Jesus. We talked about last week that the name above every name that one day every name will bow. Verse 30, this is the fourth time that the apostles have laid uh, the death of Jesus at the foot of the council. It says, whom you put to death by hanging him on the cross. And then verse 31, God has exalted him to his right hand and Savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of our sins. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Verse 33. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by the people, stood up in, in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care for what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thutius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, a man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census, drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. And they took his advice. Gamaliel, turn to Acts 22 over left in your scripture. Acts 22. Verse 
this is one of the times that Paul is uh, is giving his credentials uh, to the Jews. Acts 22. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted the way to death, binding them and putting both men and women into prison. So verse 3 tells us that Paul had a very close relationship to Gamaliel. But Paul's not on the scene yet. We still have just Peter and the apostles. And this man, who was a teacher of the law, and as Scripture says, he was respected told them, hey, don't have anything to do with them. Uh, <laughs> Ray Stedman, who I read from, said that that Gamaliel was a coward, <laughs> a fence straddler. He really didn't want to get involved with this guy. And so this is his way to kind of ease the thing out. But his advice was good. He says, just leave them alone. If it's of God, you can't stop it. If it's of men, it'll go away. And that's true. If it's of God, you can't stop it. Uh, that's this same verse I've been told was, was batted around when this church was formed 23 years ago. That we want to do what God wants us to do and we feel this is God's will and if it's God's will, it'll flourish and it has for these years and years to come. Pick up in verse 40. They took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged him and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released him. They continued the Sanhedrin, the council, continued to reject Jesus. They, they just did. So verse 41, So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now this one little verse, verse 40, they took his advice after calling the apostles in and we said verse 18 <coughs> the gospel according to Bill it's not written here but I take it to be all 12 all 12 of them were flogged and ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus everybody I read from this week said that it wasn't a simple slap on the wrist but they talk about breaking skin. So it wasn't quite as bad as Jesus had when, when they took him unto death. And uh, we saw the Passion of Christ uh, about a year ago where, where it was 
You couldn't look at it. But these men were beaten. Were beaten. And yet, verse 40 says, and, or excuse me, in verse 41 says, they considered worthy, they had been, excuse me, they had went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer, suffer shame in his name. I've never been beaten for Christ. I've never really been ridiculed for Christ. And yet times are changing. As Art says a couple of weeks ago, being on the side of Christianity has never been the popular part of the show. Let me read you a little bit about what Chuck Swindoll said about this. After receiving the Holy Spirit with His power and wisdom, the followers of Jesus gained a very different view of the Messiah and His mission. Now they had transforming, they had the transforming mind of God. Consequently, I see twelve men emerging from persecution, bearing the scars of injustice, not with curses or questions, but with rejoicing. They considered their ordeal an indication of God's favor. This suggests two principles for all of us who suffer in the name of Christ. First, opposition may mean that you're in God's will, not out of it. Second, the will of God seems set against you, against popular opinion, and not with it. Difficult as it is to understand, Jesus never promised His followers, then or now, that living in a fallen world would be easy, being popular. Yet, for some reason, we think that the good fortune indicates God's pleasure or confirms that we are in His will. We are continued to be suspect that painful circumstances indicates God's displeasure or we have wandered outside His sovereign will. In fact, God may will for His people to live poor as dirt, to suffer rejection and sorrow, to endure outrageous injustice and die painfully, just like His own Son and the apostles who followed Him. We kind of have that Jewish mentality too, that if everything works well, we're where we need to be. If we don't have any problems and everything's clicking along, we're good. And yet, that may not be the case. That may not be the case. Swindoll goes on to write, he says, we've examined church history. It's easy to think of the first Christians as larger than life, either even superhuman especially when you consider the disadvantages they faced compared to our circumstances. They had no building which to meet. They had no governmental protection. In fact, their governments very much wanted them dead. They have no guarantee of privacy, no freedom of speech, no assurance of due process or fair hearing. They had little in the way of tangible resources, no political power, no impressive education. They didn't even have a complete Bible for the New Testament had not yet been written. So they had so much more working against them than we do today. Yet, 
They literally changed the world. Still let us not forget that these were ordinary men and women, not much different from us. These first Christians would not have been equal to the challenges they faced were it not for the Holy Spirit. They conquered because they relied on the same power God has given us today. So we have the same power that these folks had right after Jesus rose. And they rejoiced with great joy that they could consider suffering for Him. Okay. Now we're fixing to turn the page. Let's look at chapter 6. <clears throat> now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint rose against a part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So that the twelve some summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And when they devoted that, excuse me, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole God congregation and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit Philip and five more guys I can't pronounce their name <laughs> and these they brought before the, God, the, the apostles and after praying they laid their hands on them the word of God kept on spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient unto the faith well, a complaint arose. <laughs> they said, I didn't get my groceries today. You know, I, it, they didn't go straight to the disciples, but they heard it through a complaint. Oh, human nature hadn't changed, has it? That's kind of like it happens with us us today. They said some bad times I want to meet they. But anyway, it's, it's, it's the way it, it happens. This complaint arose. And they were smart enough we need to take care of this. We need to take care of this. They knew they being, the disciples knew that their function was to lay the foundation of the church. They, they had that fixed. <clears throat> they needed to pray. They needed to meet together. They needed to search the scriptures that they had and see how we're going to do this. So, the disciples said to the all the disciples, the thousands of them that were there, it says, pick out seven men. For this task. Pick out seven men for this task. 
select them who are of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, that we may put in charge of this. They did, and they brought these seven guys to them. Now, this is what Stedman says about these guys. There's something wonderful here. Each one of these names is Greek, which means that the men chosen were probably all from among the complaining party, the Greek-speaking Jews. When the far larger group of Hebrew-speaking Christians were asked to choose men, they chose them from the very group that was issuing the complaint. Let me stop right there. How many times has that happened? You come to me and says, Bill, we need to do so and so, and I says, okay, run with it. <laughs> That's kind of how it was. I, I don't know that that was the circumstances here, but they, uh, they, they, they said all of these were, were Greek. And he says, and that ended the dissension. They trusted these men with the responsibility of resolving the problems with their own ranks, thus indicating their trust of them and their ability to solve their problem in the Lord. Okay. The Greek-speaking Jews, the widows, weren't getting their groceries. We need to rectify. Appoint these seven men for this job. And they did. Now, that's what Scripture says. Now I'm going to go off on a tangent, okay? <laughs> Top of verse, chapter 6, there's a subheading in most of your Bibles. Come, somebody read what that subheading is. Choosing of the seven. Choosing of the seven. Mm -hmm. Anybody got anything different? Seven spirit-filled men. Okay. Anybody got anything else? Seven chosen to serve. Okay. Has anybody got a King James? The first deacons. The first deacons. The first deacon. That's what I was listening for. The first deacon. These guys were servants. The word deacon means servant. Guess how many times the word deacon is mentioned in the New Testament? Five times. Once in Philippians and four times in Timothy. Now, let's run a little scripture right quick. Go to Philippians 1 and then hold your finger there and let's go to 1 Timothy 3. <clears throat> Philippians 1 and then 1 Timothy 3. Okay, 1 Timothy, I mean, excuse me, 1 Philippians 1, 1, 1. Paul of Timothy and a bond servant of Christ Jesus to all the saints and Christ Jesus who are in Philippi including the overseers and deacons. Deacons. Philippians 1.1 1, 1.
Now go to 1 Timothy 3. Look at verse 8. Here's where the other four times deacon is mentioned. Likewise, excuse me, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, <coughs> but hold to the mysteries of the faith with clear conscience. These men also first be tested. Let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossip, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be the husbands of only one wife and a good manager of their children in their own household. For they who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standard and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That's the other four times the word deacon is used in Scripture. Now, pull back from your memory of ever how long. Somebody tell me what the deacons did in churches that you're familiar with. They ran the church. <laughs> Made financial decisions. Legal decisions. Okay. You see once in the light of Scripture things that we have assumed through time and seen things that we have been taught are not necessarily Correct. Okay. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians. G E Parker. Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning with verse 11. You with me? And he gave some as apostles. This is verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of God, of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 11. Show me where deacon is mentioned in that list. There's no person in Scripture that's called a deacon. Now turn to Romans 16. Romans 16. That's on the other side of Acts. 
Romans 16. You with me? Believe it or not, this is going to bust somebody's boat. The closest we have for somebody being called a deacon in Scripture is a woman. <laughs> Look at verse 1, chapter 16. I commend you, our sister Phoebe, who is a servant. And that's the word that's been to serve or servant is the word that's translated deacon in those five places in Scripture. Our sister Phoebe, who is a servant in the church which is in wherever, <coughs> that you receive her in the Lord in a worthy manner of the saints and help her in whatever she may be need of, for she herself has also has been a helper of many and myself as well. He sent the book of Romans to the Romans by Phoebe, who was a minister in the church. All I'm saying is, don't get mad at me. <laughs> the deacon board is not very New Testament. It's just not very New Testament. But our Baptist faith and message, <laughs> guess what it says? Each congregation operates under the Lordship of Christ through a democratic process. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ the Lord. In scriptural offices, officers are pastors and deacons. It's evolved, and that's okay. Bill, what about the uh, all of us that were ordained as deacons? The brass, vast authority that we were given. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> go back, go back to Acts, the sixth chapter, Robert. <laughs> Go back to Acts the sixth chapter. <laughs> Acts the sixth chapter. Remember, these guys were chosen to do what? Serve. Not just serve, but to serve. The Greek-speaking women, they have a job, a specific job to do. This is what you're supposed to do. Verse 6, And they brought them before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. No particular power, Robbie. But they were set aside. That's what that's what the laying on of hands does. We're setting these people aside for this task. And they set them aside for this task. 23 years ago now, a group of believers formed covenant. And they had a committee to help them start 
It's got the name of the steering committee. We still have that today. They agonized over what, how we're going to do church. And there's several things that they came up with. Number one, we're not going to have deacons. That's scriptural. We're going to have care ministers that serve our congregation. They also said this committee, we're going to call it a steering committee. Now I'll confess to you being chairman of it this year, but I'm going off real quick. Uh, we yeah, maybe after today. Uh, so, we're grappling with, with the term. Because what it says is we act as elders. We don't act as elders. Elders are pastors, overseers, and bishops. We don't act as elders. In any young congregation that's been started, especially the big ones, especially the people who have started straight out of seminary, they have installed an elder minister. They have teaching elders and preaching elders. We don't do any of that. We've got to do some rewriting, and I'm going to say it tonight, Jerry, <laughs> to some, that, that we need to get our act together. Because some of the things that we have brought over for these 23 years is not correct. Is not correct. We don't have any authority. The, the steering committee has absolutely no authority. We can't do anything. But we can encourage the stewardship committee and the personnel committee and the uh, spiritual, spiritual gifts committee, which there are just four committees in our church. That's all. Four. We've got ministry teams that's it. Ruddy started our security team. We didn't give you any instruction, did we, Ruddy? <laughs> run with it. That's about what we said. Run, <laughs> run with it. He put some things on paper and we've got them in the office. Now that's another story for another time. <laughs> Not ruddy, but the, 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 <laughs> keeping, keeping the records like we, we do. Folks, Scripture is very plain, but we've been guilty of doing some things that the Scripture doesn't say, and yet we say we're New Testament church. New Testament church. What did Jesus tell us to do? He said, love your brother. What have I confessed? I got some brothers that are hard to love. When Daryl was doing the groundwork for our new pastor, one thing that people can't come can't keep kept coming back and telling him, we like the fact that you don't have deacons. Is that true, Daryl? Yes, and um, I think there was only one pastor who got the conversation with. He was right out of 
seminary, he didn't know any better. <laughs> he um, didn't sort of didn't know how he could deal with how we govern ourselves. But two, the, the rest of them was delighted to get from under a deacon board. Yeah. And all of them relayed bad stories about deacon boards. Yeah. I'll talk to Pastor Larry a little bit. I said, well, you've been with us a while. How do you think you like the way we do business? He said, hey, y'all keep going and just let me know what I need to do. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you, you, you see what I'm telling you, honey? I that come out, but Yes, That air, are you going to need next week to dig out? <laughs> yeah, next week you 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 dig me out here. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> let me let me wind this up right here. These men were chosen for a specific task, and because they're ministers. We've attached the name of Deacon to it when they really were just for one thing. One, one more scripture. I, I want you to look, look with me right quick. At, look with me at... Uh, oh, me. Chapter 21, verse 8. Now you remember who was mentioned in verse 5. And then we get to chapter 21, verse 8. And this is Paul doing his some of his missionary journey, uh, journeys. Chapter 21, verse 8. And on the next day, we left and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven. Philip didn't even have the title of the deacon. He was known as an evangelist because of what he did. But he was said, I'm one of the seven. And that's what that's what we're talking about in these group of men. Now, next week, I don't know where Art's going to go after he cleans up my mess, but anyway, <laughs> chapter 7 is one of these chapters that you just need to know because it is a concise history lesson from Abraham to the New Testament of how God dealt with the Jews. God dealt with the Jews. Just remember, everything that we've been taught is not necessarily correct, Scripture is always right. Scripture is always right. Any questions right quick? Okay. Don't hold it against me, folks. I'm just a messenger. All right? All right. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for all you are. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that Scripture is true and it stood the test of time. We ask that you just bless us as we go from this place. 
be with everything that's said and done and sung and prayed. And may you alone get the glory for everything. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.